Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Joshua chapter 3, we're talking about walking on the water of God's Word. Walking on the water of God's Word. Joshua chapter 3. Let me get you into this, because they're about to cross the Jordan River. Let me get you into it. I'm going to go to the New Testament to give you a story to kind of get you into what we're going to be talking about today. The disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They'd been sent out on the sea by the Lord Jesus himself, who had gone up into a mountain to pray. He was not with them. The Sea of Galilee, if you know anything about it, if you've ever been there, it's a sea that is known for its violent storms, and they can come up suddenly, and they're very life-threatening to anybody that's on the sea. These storms, there's a reason for them. They're caused by the situation of the lake being in the Jordan Rift with steep hills on both sides. The cooler air masses from the surrounding mountains collide with the warm air in the lake's basin. Winds sometimes funnel through the east-west-oriented valleys in the Galilean countryside and rush down the western hillsides of the lake, causing sudden storms. But the most violent of the storms that come on the, Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee are caused by the winds which blow off the Golan Heights to the east. It was such a violent storm that suddenly began to brew when the disciples had gotten way on out from the shoreline, quite a ways from land. John says in his gospel, in John 6, that the sea was stirred up by a strong wind that was blowing. Matthew says that they were being battered by the waves, which literally means to be tormented by the way. The smashing of the raging sea on that boat because the winds were so strong. Now, if you've never been in a boat and you've never been in strong winds and when a storm was brewing, you don't understand this. I used to live down in Louisiana and we used to fish on Toledo Bend Lake. <laughs> what a blessing. <laughs> that was in its prime. And oh, my goodness. We'd catch schooling bass, six and seven pounds. But that's another day. They had a siren that would blow on the, on the, on the Texas side and on the Louisiana side. It was three miles across. And that siren, when it went off, was by the Coast Guard to let you know that a storm was coming. You did not want to be out on that water. Well, that siren was really nice if you could hear it. And one day we were in a little boat. The fellow had a Washita bass boat. I don't know if you remember what that means or not, but that's when you drove it from the front. It had stick shift in the front. That's the way you drive that boat. And we were out in the middle of that thing when that storm came. We did not hear the siren. As a result of that, ten, eight to ten foot waves, it filled up the boat to the seat that I was sitting in. We literally had to pull the plug and run it as hard as we could, smashing into those big waves, trying to drain the water out of the boat. It was one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had. It took us one hour to cross over just that three-mile stretch of that water, and we ended up several miles from where we were supposed to be when we got across to the other side. But you can imagine back in their day, they didn't have a motor, they had oars. And you can imagine the raging seas that were coming down. The storm was really building up and building up. And listen, listen, listen to the account in Matthew 14, 25. 
and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The Lord Jesus had not been with them, and here he comes walking out over the water. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, only Simon Peter would say this. Only Simon Peter. I think the only time he ever opened his mouth was to change feet. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And verse 30 says, but seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Peter didn't just step out on the water literally. Yeah, he did. But technically, he stepped out on the word. Jesus said, come. And he stepped out of the boat. But the thing that struck me when I reread this passage this time was that he, he not only stepped out on the word, but to experience what Christ could only do in his life, to continue to walk in that, he had to keep his focus only on Christ. The moment he took his eyes off of Christ, that very moment, he sunk. Now, I want to draw an analogy with, with what we're going to be looking at today. When God speaks in his word, whatever he says will hold us up. That's the importance of the word of God. We saw it last time, to meditate in the word of God day and night. And if we're willing to step out on the Word and everything that He says, and if we remain focused on Him, depending on Him to enable us in everything He commands of us, then we're going to begin to walk in those things that only Christ can do. We can begin to experience what, what is already ours in Him. So far in Joshua, we've seen God speaking some powerful words to Joshua. He's got a lot to step out on. In verse 3 of chapter 1, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Chapter 1, verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you, and that's significant. I will not fail you or forsake you. In verse 6 of chapter 1, you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In chapter 1, verse 9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, Joshua had this to build on. It's like when Jesus had come, God has spoken to Joshua. Joshua, I'm going to lead you into the land of, of which I have already given to you. I'm going to lead you, and you're going to lead them. For us as New Covenant believers, we have the promise that Christ is in us. Not just with us, he's in us. No matter what we face, to lead us through and to enable us in whatever we have to experience. In fact, to emphasize God's presence to Israel. You know what he did? In chapter 3 of Joshua, the word ark is used 10 different times and it tells a story for us. You know what the ark is? The ark to the Israelites symbolized the presence of God with them. That's what the ark was. But to us in the new covenant, it, it's Christ. It's a picture of Christ who lives in us. As Hebrews 13, 5 says, he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. He's always with us. The ark was a chest made of acacia wood that was inlaid with pure gold, the picture of the God incarnate, 100% man, 100% God. The golden manna, pot of manna, which was inside the chest, 
pointing to Christ being the bread of life. He sustains us. He satisfies us. In every way, he is our sufficiency. Inside the ark also was Aaron's rod, which budded, bloomed, and produced almonds. This points us to Christ's resurrection, to his ascension, and to his power to reproduce himself in all who trust him by faith. The tablets of law containing the Ten Commandments that condemn, by the way, every man. Every man is born under the curse of the law. But they were placed right beneath, this is such a beautiful picture, of the mercy seat, which was the cover to the ark. The mercy seat was pure gold. And at each end was a beautiful, large angel, a cherubim. Each angel was made out of the gold that, was, that covered the mercy seat, the same, product, same, same uh, fabric. Their wings were spread out, and they were spread up, and their faces were looking down at the mercy seat. It was on the mercy seat that the blood was sprinkled by the high priest every year on the Day of Atonement. The blood covered the sins of Israel and allowed them one more year that they could walk with God and one more year in which they could approach Him. And this points us to Christ's forgiveness, whose blood on the cross doesn't just cover our sins, but forgives them forever. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that word is also translated in other translations, remission of sin. It's one thing to cover our sin. It's another thing to remit them, to erase them. It's, it points to its cleansing power. The blood of Christ points to the cleansing power it has in our life every day when we mess up that purifies our life and purifies our walk as we continue to appropriate the forgiveness that God has already given to us. What a beautiful picture of the Christ who lives in us as believers. The ark was with them. God was with them. And Jesus is with us and lives in us. No matter what we face, that would in any way seek to take from us everything God has given to us. Jesus Christ and his word is everything that we need. Verse 1 says in Joshua chapter 3, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. It is time. It is time. God has spoken. It is time now to step out on what God has said. And facing the impossible situation of the Jordan being flooded. So by faith, Joshua leads. And some people say two and a half million. Some people say a million, million. I don't know. But it was a lot of people. He leads them all. Seven miles was the journey from Shittim to the Jordan River. And they get ready to step out on the word of God. Verse 2 says, at the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp. It took three days for them to make preparations to lead that many people across the Jordan River. Camp beside the river, you have got to step into the picture with me. Camp beside the river would have given every one of them a good chance to look and see how impossible this task was really going to be. And when you and I bow before Christ, facing the impossible circumstances that come our way unannounced and unwelcome, they will come our way when we stand there and we're willing to trust Him. And we're willing to trust Him alone and His Word there is no way we can know what we'll go through or how we'll make it through, but we do know that we will because He is with us and never leaves us and never forsakes us. So stepping out on the water of God's Word, 
basically involves three things that I want us to look at today before Israel made the step out on the water of God's Word. I want us to see the three things that are involved in such a, a beautiful adventure that we have before us. First of all, there must be a consecration, a consecration. If we're ever going to possess what God has already given to us, we're going to ha- He requires that we yield everything that we understand to yield. And that's a growing thing. Tomorrow we'll find out there's something we didn't yield that we didn't know about yesterday. And it's a constant pr- process that we learn more and more of what's of us and more and more of what's of Him. But it requires us to yield everything to Him. And that's never changed. Look at verse 3. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant your God, of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now that'll come up. But verse 4. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Now the people were to follow the priest who were carrying the ark. Now, now you've got to get the picture. God was going to lead them over, but he was going to do it his way in his time And that's the way it always has to be. We have to come to that place of trusting Him. Even though it doesn't make sense to sometimes our reasoning, it makes sense to God. And when God speaks, we step out on it. It must always be His way. In the midst of the crisis that God brings in our life, He allows in our lives, yes, He wants us to trust Him in His Word. Yes, He does. And yes, He will take us into whatever has, we're facing and whatever it is that's overwhelming us but our eyes must always be on Jesus everyone must to be able to see the ark verse 4 however there shall be a between you and it a distance of 2,000 cubits by measure the ark was to be out in front of the people and it's gonna be about 3,000 feet in front of them a cubit was 18 inches and so we figure about 3,000 feet why would that be well just like Peter learned that when stepping out on the water, he better keep his focus on the Lord Jesus. All of this tons of people, how many there were, were to be able to see the ark at all times. And to be able to do that, they had to be behind it about 3,000 feet so everybody could see that ark in front of them. They were not to get too close to it so that all could see it. But something came first. Before they ever stepped out, knowing the ark was in front of them, knowing the path that God was leading, something came first, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself. Now this is so key. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. See, sin has to be dealt with before we ever experience everything that God wants for us. Before they could cross the swollen river Jordan, before they could possess what was already theirs, they were to consecrate themselves. Now the word consecrate tells us exactly what he's saying. The word consecrate means to set yourself apart unto God. It's translated holy seven different times, and it's translated sanctify 108 times in the Old Testament. It's the word used over in chapter 7. Remember, after they defeated Jericho, they went to the little town of, we call it Ai, but I had a Hebrew scholar tell me it's really Ai. They went over to the little town. And they were miserably defeated. As a result of it, they had to come back together, confess their sin of not trusting God, not even beseeching God, not even come before Him, and they had to consecrate themselves afresh before God before they could move on. So it's a word that that involves sin. It's a word that involves self. 
It involved repenting of their sin and yielding afresh to God. Before they did anything else. Before they stepped out on the word. Before they could experience all that God had. For them to consecrate oneself is to make certain that there is nothing in one's life that is in any way hindering God from working through him. How many times have we said it? It's a, our lives are like conduits. And, and the key is we keep them clean so that the flow can continue to go through it. Do we mess up? Every one of us do. Do we sin? We all sin. But we run to the place that cleansing is available in the blood of Christ, and we learn that through that, then we can refresh ourselves in consecration to him, and as we walk with him and trusting him, then we get to experience what God has for us. Miss Bertha Smith, that I'll use again in a moment. Miss Bertha Smith died at 100 years old. She, she was an incredible, incredible person that God used over in China. And she used to be with us, and she would say over and over and over again when she'd see me, she said, Now, Brother Wayne, have you are your sins confessed up to date? Brother Wayne, are your sins confessed up to date? I got so tired of her saying that, I wanted to dodge her when I was around her. Because that's the first thing that would come out of her mouth. How are you doing? Are your sins confessed up to date? <laughs> I'm thinking, will you get off my back? I'm all right. I'm doing okay. But what she was saying was so important. If we're not going to deal with them, if we're not going to go back to where we've departed, all of us sin. But if we don't go back and deal with it and repent from it, and we're not willing to consecrate ourselves, we can forget talking about what God's going to do, the wonders of what God's going to do in our life. That's when circumstances defeat us. That's when we're, we're overwhelmed with the storms of life. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What do you do first? Is he going to do wonders today? No, today you consecrate yourself to the Lord. Then tomorrow he'll do the wonders in your life. This same Miss Bertha Smith, that, like I said, lived to be 100 years old, was a part of the Shentung Revival. I don't know if you know much about that. There's a ton of Christians in China. And one of the reasons is a little lady by the name of Miss Bertha Smith. There were many people involved in this. Back in the day that she was in China as a missionary, there weren't many men on the field. And they had a particular man that was ministering with them on their team. And the man began to go blind and he could not see. And he's going to have to go back home. But they did, weren't knew they wouldn't get a replacement. There would be another man not to come. And so they began to pray for him. And they said, we've got to start, get together. Let's all of us get together. Let's lay hands on him and let's pray that God will heal him of whatever it is that's causing this blindness. And by her own testimony, she said they all got together and they laid their hands on him. And immediately she said, Wayne, the presence of God was so strong. We jerked our hands back. God began to reveal sin in their lives that they hadn't even thought about. She said, it took three weeks to deal with all that God put on my heart. Each one was so broken when they recognized the sin that they were not willing to deal with. And when they were willing to deal with it in about three weeks period of time, they came back together. And when they laid hands on him, she said, Wayne, the glory of God came down from heaven and God restored the man's sight and he stayed on the field until the day that he died. That's what he's saying. We always want to talk about the promises of God. We want to talk about all that we have in Christ. And we should, and we should be excited about it. But the first step is consecration. If we're not going to come to the place to deal with what it is in our life that he's already revealed, the sin in our life, we're not going to go any further in our Christian walk. We step backwards, and we don't step forward. And that's the bottom line of what he's telling Israel. Consecrate yourselves today. Set yourself apart unto God. Consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow, 
you'll see the wonders of what God will do in your life. Well, I'll tell you what. I used to think the older I got, the easier sin would be dealt with and the the less temptations would bother you. I hate to tell you this, but it gets worse the older you get. And it doesn't stop till Jesus comes back. The more aware you become of your flesh, the more aware you become of what you yourself are doing to hold your own self back from experiencing what God says is already yours. Israel is a perfect example because many of them did not repent. Many of them stayed on the other side. Many of them didn't do what he told them to do when they got over into the land. And as a result, they didn't experience what God said was already theirs. So the first step is consecration. That's the first step. The second step, there will be the joy of anticipation that follows. And that to me is incredible. Even more so than what God does, it's the joy of anticipation. It says in verse 5, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And I think of the wonders that God wants to do right here at Wilden Park. I think of the wonders God wants to do in Wayne, if Wayne would get out of God's way. I think about that all the time. And God continues to reveal over and over again. Every day you come before him and you find something else that needs to be dealt with. And the way you die to sin is by saying yes to him. Victory is never you overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus overcoming you. And when we set up ourselves apart unto God, and when we're willing to say yes to him, whatever that means, we begin to walk in the wonders of what only God can do. Every crisis in our life, is designed to cause us to be driven into his presence where we should many times do not consecrate ourselves and when we do the joy anticipation floods our soul oh the wonders that god wants to do the wonders god wants to do remember the push mowers i don't mean the push mowers with with <laughs> gas i'm talking about the push mowers you know the little blade you know rotates around so many young people are saying, do what? I know, you haven't even had reflux yet, but I'm talking about the, the, the mowers that we used to push. We had to push. And I used to hate doing that because our grass sometimes would be too high. And pushing those things, man, it was just a pill. But my dad would tell me, oh, I'll never forget in the summertime when I was off from school, my daddy would say, Wayne Allen, if you'll cut the grass this week and trim and do all the stuff, and then it was a little thing you had to do it with your hands instead of the electric stuff, if you'll trim and you'll sweep off the sidewalk and you'll cut the grass, I'll take you fishing Saturday. And I want to tell you something. When I was pushing that lawnmower, son, people would look at me and say, why is he so happy about cutting the grass? Son, it was the joy of anticipation. I could not wait. My daddy was going to take me fishing on Saturday. And I could not wait to get that grass cut, cut it right, trim it. But the times that that wasn't built in, you look at me and you'll think he'll never finish that yard because I didn't want to do it to start with. But boy, when Dad made that promise and I consecrated myself to doing what he told me to do in the first place, the joy of anticipation filled me. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, tomorrow, you'll experience the wonders of the Lord. When one is consecrated to God, his eyes are only on him. And this is when we can anticipate the joy of what wonders God is going to do in the midst of an impossible situation. Verse 6, Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over ahead of the people, so that they look up 
to the, they, they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the people, obviously the priests, were to take the Ark which, and cross over the swollen river. Now there are some facts you need to know about that river. Yes, it's flooded. But the River Jordan takes its name, the Descender, from the force of its current which after passing the Sea of Galilee becomes greatly increased as it plunges through 27 horrible rapids and cascades and falls 1,000 feet. If you've never been on a river that's fallen like that, you don't know what he's talking about here. It's, the current is incredible, averaging 4 to 5 miles an hour. But this is at flood stage. It's even worse than that. It's a mile wide instead of 110 feet wide, and the current is multiplied how many times because of the flooding waters. So you've got the current pulling, and you've got the vast expanse of the Jordan River. No one at this point knew what would happen next after they had consecrated themselves to God. Their anticipation was in the wonders of what God was up to, and that had to have filled their hearts. How are we going to do this? I don't know. But God said, consecrate ourselves before him, and you can you can write it down. The joy of the anticipation of the wonders of God begin to flood into their soul. Wouldn't it be awesome to live Christian life that way? Wouldn't it be awesome to, when, you, when you start approach every day, oh God, I, I'm yielding everything that I know to yield to you, and Lord, I'll deal with whatever you bring up to me today, and Lord, I want to walk in everything that you say I already have. I thank you, Lord, for the circumstances of my life. Lord, I thank you that some of them are absolutely impossible. But, Lord, thank you that you have a way. You'll show the way. And whatever you do will blow me away <laughs> because of what only you can do. What only you can do. I've said this before, and I'm not just saying it for any other reason than just to say it's on my heart. How many times I've driven by this church. I'm, I've started to walk. I'll probably last a week. Every time I start an exercise program, it lasts sometimes two days. <laughs> Maybe this will last a week. But I walked around. Everybody says, you walk to church? You, no, man, I drive. But I, I was walking I, since I lived 200 yards from it. But I started, well, I walked the other day around it. And, you know, I hadn't done that in a while. And as I was walking, I was just looking at that big old building. <laughs> and there was the birds and the bats. I think it's the bat cave if, if Batman ever comes back. But it, it's just, I looked at that shell. And I'm thinking, God, this is impossible. This is impossible. I mean, you call me at this stage of my life, and I don't know how to build anything. Everything I've ever built's fallen down. I, I can't build anything. And Lord, I can't raise money. Every time I've preached on money, the giving is less than it's ever been. So Lord, what are you going to do? And it was like God was bringing this scripture back. I've been studying it this week. Consecrate yourself, son. You yield everything you know to yield to me and everything you know about me. And live in the joy of anticipation of what only I can do. Well, I'll tell you what, when somebody's not living that way, the most judgmental people live the face of this or are critical about everything, doomsday, going to all end tomorrow. But thank God when we consecrate ourselves to him, the joy of anticipation of the wonders of what only he can do start flooding our life. You jump down to verse 9 to 11. It says, Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Jebusite, the Termite. <laughs> In verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. 
to the crossing of the Jordan was going to be a tremendous faith builder. He said, you'll know that I'm with you by what I'm about to do, not only crossing the river, but in the land to those seven nations that are going to ter- torment you. He says, listen, just crossing this river is going to build something in you to trust me like never before. God was also going to exalt Joshua, by the way. And this is how leaders are proven. And Father's Day is coming up next week. We're going to take chapter 4. This is how leaders are proven. Leaders are followers. I don't know why in the world we think leaders are leaders. No, they're not. They're followers. And it's who they're following. And and if they're willing to say yes to God, people will follow them. And basically, that's what he's going to tell Joshua. Joshua, you, you follow me, they'll follow you. That's the bottom line. It says in verse 7, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with you, I will, uh, Moses, I will be with you. Boy, that was powerful. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, we must keep remembering. The river's still flooded. The current is still raging. And nobody has mentioned yet how they're going to get across. But there's something brewing inside of Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And he began, I guarantee you the plot's beginning to thicken inside of Joshua. Verse 13, it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of, of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Now notice what he says there. If you were with me a couple of times ago, the soles of the feet of the priest. Remember, they're treating every step as holy. Remember, we looked at that in chapter 1. The soles of their feet were the bare part of their feet. It was to treat every step under God's direction. I'm willing to step. Lord, you pick them up, I'll put them down. They're considering every step as holy. They were consecrated to God, focused on His presence with them, and they were treating each step as holy. Now their anticipation level was spiked to a new level. God tells Joshua how they're going to get across, finally. When the feet of the priest touched the water, the water would stop flowing back up in a heap so that they could cross. Verse 13 again, It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Oh, how awesome. God was going to do what he had done back at the Red Sea, where he parted the sea. Joshua had stood there. Remember he said, as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. And all of a sudden, the whole plan began to unfold in Joshua's mind. Joshua had to be thrilled. I know now what he's going to do. In verse 14, so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above, uh, further upstream, and rose up, stood and rose up in one heap. Can you imagine? A great distance away at Adam, 17 miles, the city that was beside Zarathon. And those which were flowing down toward, toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite of Jericho. I mean, from that exact spot, it's 17 miles back. The water stopped, rose up in a heap, backed up 17 miles. Then the tributaries that flowed into the to Jordan River also dried up so that they could walk across. The unexplainable wonders of our faithful God. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. 
we could just get a handle on this trip. You know what happens so often when we're overwhelmed by a circumstance? We spend more time arguing over how we're going to conquer it rather than getting on our face before God and trusting Him to show us the way. We would spend more time trying to figure out how to build a bridge than we would praying and asking God to do what only God can do. And the flooded rivers of your life come, and they're going to come. Many of you, I've been here now a while, and I've, I've seen so many that's gone through impossible circumstances, and it's incredible to see the other side. They're going to come, but when they come, remember, he's going to take us through. Instead of focusing on Christ and consecrating ourselves, sometimes we do what we th think that could handle the situation. But the reality is when we consecrate ourselves, the joy anticipation begins to rise, and we see the wonders of God. Calvin Moore is the sheriff, or was the sheriff, in Lexington, Mississippi, Holmes County. He's in heaven now. He was a dear friend, a deacon, great friend, great man, trusted God. Bullet holes in the side of his car, one of the most racially torn areas where I served there for three years. In fact, they were on the national news three different times for racial violence. 11% were white and 89% were, were, were black, African-American. It's interesting that we, we had the first ministry with the precious black folks that were there that had ever been had in a hundred and some year history of the church and that didn't make the people in the church very excited about me but one day Calvin came to me and said Wayne we need to pray and I said what's up what's up Calvin he said we've got a meeting over in Chula Mississippi That's a little pipsqueak town that you, it's north of, of, of Lexington in the Delta and he said Wayne there's gonna be some bad blood shed he said As a matter of fact we're taking our guns and it's gonna be a battle there's a group meeting on the courthouse uh, lawn and they're very racial and very, it's a very racial situation. And he said, man, I, I'm scared to death. And I said, well, Calvin, all I know to do is let's get our men together and let's pray. And we got a group of men together and we just prayed that God would do something that was so obviously of God that everybody there would understand that God had intervened. And we prayed. He went on to Chula. I didn't go. I didn't have a bulletproof vest. But about three or four hours later, he called me. We all met him at the church, and he said, Wayne, you won't believe. He was weeping. He was uncontrollably sobbing, and yet he was full of joy. I said, what happened, Calvin? He said, we got there. We had cars all the way around. Each one of us armed, doors open with guns in our hands, had our bulletproof vest on, not knowing what to expect. They were all out there in the courthouse. Remember the courthouse squares in some of those little southern towns? That's the way it was. And the square just squared off, and right in the middle was the courthouse. And he said, right before they started, it started to rain. He said, Wayne, I'm not talking about just an ordinary rain. I'm talking about lightning, thunder. I'm talking about rain coming down so hard we could not even see them at a distance of 50 to 60 feet away. It was raining that hard. And I said, whoa, man, that's awesome. He said, no, no, you don't understand. Wayne, it only rained on the square of the courthouse. Every, all the rest of us stood up aside from it, and we were completely dry. And I said, well, what happened, Calvin? He said, man, it was so overwhelming that people began to even express or say that they saw a miracle here. They'd never seen anything like this before. And I'll tell you what, if we could bring Calvin back from heaven today and say, Calvin, help us to understand what's going on here in Joshua. Do you think he might have a testimony to share? Because of the impossible situation that was facing him and the overwhelming wonders of God that God brought about. Well, the final thing, don't you love that word final? All of this results in a glorification. 
First of all, there's a consecration. And then secondly, what happens out of that consecration is the anticipation, the joy begins to rise of the wonders of what God's going to do. And then thirdly, there's the glorification. He says in verse 17, And the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The priest carrying the ark, which symbolized God's presence, stood out there in the middle as the people crossed over. Imagine the confidence. Imagine the confidence. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. We're stepping out of what God said. We're following our leader who's following him, and we're walking across. God's with us, and the joy of anticipation, the, the, the river, if bed, is dry. The water has backed up 17 miles. The confidence this gave the people to go across. Old people, young people, stepping onto the riverbed, seeing the priest in the ark, standing on dry ground, must have increased their awareness. Oh, my. Oh, my. We're actually walking in the very wonders of what only God can do. The word glory is the word doxa in the Greek, and it means to properly recognize someone for his worth. Can you hear them this morning? Can you hear the song of Moses when they got to the other side? Can you hear them singing after having having been delivered again this time it's the song of joshua just like it was back when they crossed the red sea automatically they had stepped there now in that they're now experiencing what had already been theirs they're they've crossed the the most impossible circumstance and because they trusted god stepped out on his word kept their focus on him now they're entering into what god said was already theirs in the midst of impossible circumstances they witnessed what only god could do I bet we could have testimony after testimony this morning of the times that you've bowed before God and God has led you through some of the most impossible circumstances and their stories would be a book that we could put together right here. Christ is glorified, not man. No, there's no man could take credit for this. Just as the priest stood in the midst of the river with the ark to remind those crossing of God's presence, as we step into the water, we stand in the crises of life, just remember, we don't have to have an ark out in front of us. We have the Christ that lives within us. And he walks us through whatever it is we have to walk through. Walking on the water of God's word involves a consecration of our lives. I wonder this morning, as I, I was studying this, I'm thinking, oh my, I wonder what's there and I'm not even seeing my own life. What's in your life this morning that's holding back the flow of God's river? But this also will follow with a joy of anticipation. I'll tell you what. When you're around people who have the joy of anticipation, <laughs> they're fun to be with. And then it will result in a glorification as to who God is and how he can be trusted. When I was studying this, I got to thinking, these words were written how long ago? In fact, people say it's an ancient book. Yes, sir, it is. But it's a living book. And the very words that he spoke to Joshua and to the people, today we're preaching. And the very words that were ancient to them are fresh as life is to us today. Ancient words changing me and changing you. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed and just think about that. What has God said to you this morning? What impossible circumstance are you facing? Well, what is it that you've not yet yielded? What is it that's caused the joy of anticipation to flow away from you? And what is God saying to you to bring you back to square one where you departed? For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. 
That's jashow.org.